Welcome to the Wake Park Church Sermon Podcast, a ministry of Wake Park Church in Northeast Minneapolis. We do everything we do because we believe life with Jesus is better. If you like what you hear, we'd love to have you swing by and join us for worship. We meet on Sundays at 10 a.m. and have other groups and ministries on various days of the week. You can learn more by going to wakeparkchurch.org. Good morning. Today our scripture reading is Luke 1, 39 through 56, and in your pew Bibles it's on page 700 and 701. At that time Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leapt in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of the Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promise to her. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. And from now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months and then returned home. Well, good morning, everyone. High fives to Graham for staying in place that whole time. It's It's not easy sitting still when you're a kid. So this morning, I have a story that's just for the kids. So if you're a kid in here, raise your hand if you have ever been in a room where you were the littlest person, the littlest one that was there. I see Emma's hand all the way up back there. I remember being the littlest one in the room. So does Anna. So if you've ever been in a room that's full of big people, sometimes they don't even notice you because they can just see right over your head. They don't even see that you're there. So one time when I was little, I was at the mall with my parents, and it was at Christmas time, and we were waiting in a really, really, really long line, and I got bored. So I wandered off to look at this little display. It wasn't far away. I didn't go too far, but I wandered away from my parents. Their arms were pretty full of stuff, so they couldn't see me normally because I was so little, but their arms were full, so it made it even harder. So I was only gone for a few minutes, but I came back, and I hugged onto my dad's leg. At least I thought it was my dad's leg. This guy was wearing jeans and a flannel shirt just like my dad, but it wasn't my dad. And it took him a while to notice me because I was so little, and it took a while for my parents to notice that I wasn't with them and I was hugging someone else's leg, and it was a little embarrassing, but I made it back to my parents. Everything was fine. Even though big people don't always notice little people, God does. He pays attention to even the smallest things. Psalm 115 verse 13 tells us that the Lord will bless those who fear him from the smallest to the greatest. Jesus himself said in Luke 12, 7, yes, God even knows how many hairs you have on your head. Have you ever tried to count the hairs on your head? 
There's a lot of them, and they keep falling out, so the number keeps changing, but he knows how many there are. In Matthew 6, 26, Jesus also says, Look at the birds in the air. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds the birds. And you know that they are, you are worth much more than the birds. But it isn't just hair and birds that matter to God. He even paid attention to you before you were even born, when you were inside your mom's belly. Psalm 139 says, You, formed, you made my whole being. You formed me in my mother's body. You saw my bones being formed as I took shape in my mother's body. When I was put together there, you saw my body as it was formed. Little things and little people matter a whole lot to God. And that's one of the lessons that we can learn from the verses that Miss Jessica just read. Those verses were ones that Mary spoke in praise to God. We call them her Magnificat. It's a fun word to say. In those verses, Mary talks about how honored and amazed she is that the creator of the whole universe noticed her. But Mary also praises God that he notices all kinds of people who are little and looked down upon. And that's what Pastor Corey is going to be talking about this morning. Well, when I was in college, uh, I ran track and cross country. I, wasn't, uh, I, I didn't intend to run track and cross country when I went to college. I did run in high school, but I didn't get any scholarships or anything, and it really wasn't my intent to continue on. But, but I had friends who ran, and, and I was always a decent athlete, not an All-American or anything. Uh, but I decided, well, my friends are running, so I'll run too. Uh, and like I said, I, I wasn't a great runner. I especially wasn't a great cross-country runner. Usually my goal was not to finish last. And, uh, <laughs> but it kept me in shape for track, and I was a little better there. Uh, I wasn't a great college athlete, but I was a pretty good student, and so I guess I could always fall back on that. Well, in the spring of my senior year... My college athletic career was over. I ran my last 400-meter dash and gave God thanks for that because it's a crazy race. And, uh, and there was only one thing left, the athletic banquet. And I had always planned on going. It was cool. You get a free meal and, and, and all of that, and you get to see you know, all of the awards given to, to people. And, and so I planned on going and just wearing, you know, I don't like to dress up very much, so I just planned on wearing some jeans and a button-down shirt and going and having a free meal. Well, my wife and I were engaged at the time, and she started to take an interest in what I was wearing to the banquet. And uh, I couldn't figure out why she was so interested in that. But she said, no, don't you think you want to dress up just a little bit? And I was like, well, I don't really see why. But I guess if you want me to, then I'll dress up for you. And so I put on a pair of khakis and a tie, and we went to the banquet. Now, all of the, they did all the normal things at the banquet. And, uh, you know, they would go through, they had a, a meal, and then they had a speaker, and then they started giving out awards for all of the various sports, the MVP, which I was never in the running for, for any of the sports that I was a part of. Uh, but at the very end of the program came the big award, the Scholar Athlete of the Year student who was apparently an inspiration to all the people around him, represented the values of Sioux Falls College well, and at the end of the introduction they said, and this year the award for Scholar Athlete of the Year goes to Corey Kleinsasser. 
And, uh, and if, you know, if you've ever watched the Academy Awards or, or some kind of award show like that, they oftentimes show the winner when their name is read. And of course, they all feign, you know, surprise as if they didn't realize that they were going to win it anyway and, and all of that. Well, that was not the case here. I will tell you, I was utterly shocked. Like, I, I started looking around going, all right, who made the mistake here? Was there an accounting error or was there something that went on? Because it just never occurred to me that I would win something like that. Well, regardless of whether I thought I deserved it or not, it was an incredible honor for me to be recognized in that way. And it gave me a, a great amount of joy, especially with the amount of surprise that, that came with it. It was so good to be noticed and valued by someone on this earth. This Sunday is the Sunday, the Sunday of Advent that we talk about joy. And uh, the brain scientist and theologian, Jim Wilder, describes joy as the feeling you get when someone looks at you and is glad to be with you. Uh, it's an intensely relational feeling that you get when you know that you are seen, that you are noticed, and that you are valued. Now, when we read a passage like we did today from Luke chapter 1, you start to realize that this was the feeling that Mary had when the angel came to her. You see, Mary was a young Jewish girl from a poor family. There was very little reason to think that she would ever stand out in the world. But she was also entering an exciting time in her life. She was engaged to be married. Uh, and like most other Jewish teenage girls of her time, she pretty much knew how her life was going to go. She would get married. She would move in with her husband, probably have children, probably live in the same village, maybe the same house that she had lived in her entire life. She would grow up and have the same friends when she was old as she had when she was young, and she was perfectly okay with that. But something happened that changed all of that. One day an angel appeared to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. And Luke tells us that she was greatly troubled, probably a little bit like being named Scholar Athlete of the Year when you think, don't think you deserve it. You know, you start to think, wait, wait, wait a minute. Uh, looking around, maybe Mary was looking around to see if there was someone else in the room, you know. Maybe you have the wrong Mary, something like that. But as the angel continued, it started to sink in that the God of the universe, the creator of the universe, noticed her. 14-year-old Mary Johnson, or whatever her last name was. Now, I want you to close your eyes for just a minute, and I want you to put yourself in Mary's position. What if God came to you, or an angel came to you and said, I want you to know that God sees you, that he loves you, he's with you. You are blessed and highly favored. What would you think? What would go through your mind at that time? What would you do? What would you say? You know, for me, this is not the kind of thing that, that I would keep to myself. I might go to a friend and, uh, and, and share it. I might go to an older relative or, or a mentor who is wiser than I and, and you know, someone who has, uh, is deeply spiritual. And to go there and ask questions and sort of process what's happening, although I can't imagine there would be many people on earth who would know what to do in that situation, right? 
But that's exactly what Mary did. In fact, the, the story tells us that she walked about 70 miles to get to her relative Elizabeth, Elizabeth's house, house to get the scoop from her. And when she got there, of course, Elizabeth confirmed what, the, ba- what uh, the angel said about the baby she was carrying because she was also visited as well. And with that, Mary burst forth with a song. And she starts it this way, My soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in, my God, in God my Savior. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. You know, one of the things that impresses me about Mary's song, and we'll see this as we read along, is that she has impeccable theology, especially for a 14-year-old girl. You see, Mary knew that throughout Israel's history, that God oftentimes worked through ordinary and humble people. He chose everyday average people. And the reason that he did that was that nobody, so then nobody could say that they did it with their own strength or their own ingenuity. But the plans of God were always accomplished by the strength of God. Like Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong so that no one may boast. Now, of course, Mary did have a unique role in God's history of salvation. Not everyone gets to carry around the one and only Son of God. But Mary praises God for her unique role when she says, From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. Now when you think about it, having such an important role in salvation history would might have a tendency to go to our head a little bit. We might be tempted to think that God chose us because we are something special, because we deserved it. But of course, Mary knew better, which is why in verse 50, rather than going on and on about herself and how great she was and how much she deserves it, she very quickly turns her attention to the character of God. In essence, she's saying that while it's an amazing privilege to be in her position, what she's experiencing is simply because of the way God is. God notices people in humble positions. Now, over the next few months, we're going to be looking, we're going to be walking through the book of Luke. And uh, and one of the themes that we're going to see is what biblical scholars call the great reversal. And this is actually a countercultural idea. You see, humans tend to notice people who are good looking, who are high achievers, who are strategic business people. We tend to value financial success and prefer people who can afford to go to elite universities and graduate from them. But the great reversal that we see all throughout Scripture, both in the Old Testament and in the New, is this that God does not value what we value. And so she says in verse 50, his mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. You see, while we value earthly potential and success, God values people who fear him. It's the number one character trait he's looking for. In fact, Mary says that God is merciful. And what mercy means is that he notices and favors people who are in humble circumstances. Look at how she continues in verse 51. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. Okay, so far so good, but what are the mighty deeds that she's talking about? Well, she goes on. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He's brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He's filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich 
away empty. This is what you call a great reversal. Okay, but it's not just here. In fact, last week we talked about how Hannah's story in the Old Testament is actually a foreshadowing of many of the things of how God would work in the New Testament. And, and we see many of the same things in Hannah's prayer when she uh, is, is praying to God that she will have a child. This is what she says about God. She says, the bows of the warriors are broken, but those who stumbled are armed with strength. Those who were Full, hire themselves out for food, but those who were hungry are hungry no more. She who was barren has borne seven children, but she who has had many sons pines away. And then as Hannah continues on in her prayer, she recognizes just how in charge God is. The Lord brings death and makes alive. He brings down to the grave and raises up. The Lord sends poverty and wealth. He humbles and exalts. He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap. He seats them with princes and has them inherit a throne of honor. And what we'll see in the book of Luke is that this great reversal takes place in a couple of arenas. The first one is what we might call either the social or the financial. And the second one is in the spiritual arena. And of course these are separate arenas, but they're also related. They're oftentimes connected. So first, Luke speaks about a great financial reversal. And and, and it's basically this, that while the world tends to reward the rich and powerful, God favors the poor and the humble. You see, it's easy to believe that that someone who is poor, that that they must have done something in order to deserve it. And that's true today, and it was true back in those days. We believe that they're lazy or sinful, or they're just getting what they deserve. And, and of course, the corollary is also true, that people tend to view wealthy people as more virtuous, unless, of course, they're part of the 1%, and then they're the worst people on earth. But, but there actually have been a number of recent studies that show that humans tend to perceive people who look wealthy as being more honest and trustworthy. Okay, now... We know that there are poor people who are honorable, honorable and rich people who are honorable. We know that there are corrupt people who are poor and there are corrupt people who are wealthy. Okay, but biblical teaching about economics is actually connected to this little attitude that we call pride. You see, when you have money and possessions, there's a unique temptation. And the temptation is to believe that you are self-made. And not recognize that you got to where you are in life only by the grace of God. And probably with a little bit of help from people along the way. But people who are poor know that they are not their own. You see, uh, Michael Emerson uh, was at a popular financial seminar that's oftentimes done in churches. You can probably guess which one it was. Uh, and, And... the seminar encourages people to save up an emergency fund. Start with $1,000 and then up to like six months salary. And it's actually pretty good financial advice if you can do it. But, but he remembers someone coming up to him who had grown up in a poor family and actually in a poor neighborhood. And came up to him and asked him this sincere question. Where do people get all this money to save? What do they do when their family has a crisis? Do they just tell them tough luck? Well... Sometimes, yes. See, people experiencing poverty don't often face the same temptation toward pride and self-sufficiency. Because of their circumstances, they're better able to recognize their utter dependence on God 
and their dependence on a faithful community for everything that they have. But when they continue to struggle and they're alone, they're isolated, it's easy for them to wonder whether God has forgotten about them. And it's that tendency toward pride that actually connects the financial or the social with the spiritual reversal. See, the spiritual reversal that we'll also see in the book of Luke is that while the world favors people who are self-assured and confident, God favors the humble and the contrite. See, Mary ends the Magnificat with this. She said in verse 54, He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and to his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. Now, at first glance, we think this is a matter of God just favoring Israel no matter how they lived. But if you look a little closer at the story, you remember that Israel's pride and unfaithfulness had actually gotten them carried into exile. God didn't prevent them from experiencing the consequences of their own unfaithfulness just because they were Israel. And now, after hundreds of years languishing in a state of social and spiritual poverty, God was making good on his promise to his people to rescue them, to rescue those who had been brought low. And of course, if you continue to read in Scripture, you'll find that this great reversal doesn't just apply to Israel. In fact, he applies it to to everyone. It's available to every individual. Here are some examples. Proverbs 3.34, it says, God mocks proud mockers but shows favor to the humble and the oppressed. Proverbs 29.23, pride brings a person low, but the lowly in spirit gain honor. James 4, 6 says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And in Luke 18, Jesus tells the parable of the tax collector and the Pharisee in the temple. The tax collector, of course, is an outcast. He's kind of a shady character who's done many things that he maybe wasn't very proud of, and he knew it. He knew that he needed God's mercy. The Pharisee, on the other hand, was the religious person who had all things together, he, wasn't, uh, he thanked God, in fact, that he wasn't a, a quote-unquote sinner like this tax collector next to him. He believed that he didn't need mercy because he was a religious overachiever. He did all the right things at the right time and in the right way. But at the end of the parable, Jesus points to the tax collector. And he says this, I tell you that it's this man rather than the other who went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled And those who humble themselves will be exalted. You see, Mary recognizes in her song that the coming of the Messiah as a vulnerable baby, born to a poor couple who would have been looked down on for having a child out of wedlock, isn't out of character for the God of the Bible. In fact, it's right in line with how God did things all along. And sometimes we miss that fact. Especially in our Christmas celebrations, where we oftentimes focus on accumulating gifts and gadgets and redistributing wealth among wealthy people. You've probably seen the commercial where the, uh, where the husband gives the wife a, a brand new car, or actually a couple, a new SUV for Christmas, right? And this is oftentimes how we sell. I don't know anybody in here who does that, but it's at least suggested in our society. And this kind of celebration might be something that will give someone uh, a little bit of excitement or, or happiness for a time, but it's not something that results in true joy. And it's not consistent with the character 
of our self-giving God. And so the question is, as we learn from Mary, what are the lessons that we learn from her? Well, let me talk to two different groups of people today. First, to those of you who are in humble circumstances, and you can define that how you want. Maybe you're having a hard time paying the bills. Maybe you're isolated and alone. Maybe you're in the middle of some circumstances temporarily that are very difficult, and you're tempted to believe that God has looked away from you or has forgotten about you. Or maybe your humble circumstances aren't financial, but they're spiritual. That you live with regret for things that you've done in the past and you're filled with guilt. You might even think that you've gone too far. But I want you to know that you are never too far gone. You are never, you've never done so much that God is unwilling to forgive. And he gave his son in order to prove that. And so today I want you... I want you to know that Christmas tells us that God has not forgotten about you. That he sees you and he knows you. And even if you feel like the world is out to get you, I want you to know that God gives special attention to your prayers when you fear him, when you recognize your need and you call out to him. He's ready to listen. And so let this Christmas be a reset for you. Let it remind you of the fact that you are not forgotten. And let that fill you with joy. Now, to those of us who are rich or in favorable circumstances, okay? To those of us who would be considered wealthy, and the fact is, is that most of us here in comparison to the rest of the world would be considered wealthy. You might not feel very wealthy in comparison to other people around you, but you have been blessed with great wealth. And I want you to know that God sees you And he loves you too. But there are also many warnings from both the Old Testament and the New Testament. Not to allow your position in life to make you prideful. Or to think that you deserve what you have. Even if you've worked hard for it. And I think probably most people in here work hard for what they have. We also have to understand that we would not have what we have in life. If not for the mercy of God. And so for you... The message of Mary's song is to reflect on the ways that God has blessed you. To find joy in that, but don't stop there. Let this also be a call to action. If God sees and cares about people in humble situations, then so should we. And that can start with Christmas, but of course it shouldn't end there. This should be a way of life. It should be a part of our character just the way it's a part of God's character. But in the immediate moment, over the next month or so, here are a few things that you might consider as you try to emulate the character of God. Okay? Something very practical. How about spend less on gifts this Christmas? Okay? Now, I realize that it might be too late for some of you who are early shoppers. Right? That is not me. Uh, but <laughs> uh, So you might have to find another way to apply this or maybe take them back or something. I don't know what. The point is here, though, is that we have trained ourselves to find joy in what we get for Christmas. And, uh, and actually, when we spend a ton on Christmas gifts for our kids even, we teach them to find joy in their possessions. But instead, what we should do is we should find joy in presence. P-R-E-N-S-E-N-S-E-C-E. Is that how you spell it? <laughs> and to learn how to spell. But, 
First of all, to remember that God is present with us. That's what Christmas is all about. It means Emmanuel, God with us. That the God who seems far away oftentimes came near, became one of us so that we could know his presence. And the other thing is, is just to know the presence of each other. And oftentimes the things that we buy, the gadgets that we do, actually work to separate us from other people. And so as you celebrate Christmas in honor of, the, of God's presence, be present with each other, family and friends. Share the things that you're thankful for. Read the Christmas story together. Play games, tell jokes. Just be together with each other. The second, find ways to give to people who are in need. See, we spend a great deal of money every year giving gifts to people who don't really need them. And I'm not saying that giving gifts to family is bad, okay? It's a tradition we've always done. We'll probably continue to do it, okay? But I do want you to, to encourage you this year to think about people who don't have what you have. And, of course, you can give through organizations. There are lots of them out there. This time of year, the Salvation Army does a great push, and so I would encourage you to, to give to the Salvation Army, to give to any other of the, the charities or, or uh, organizations that you support throughout the year. Another way you can do that is we're doing a, a Christmas outreach with Wayman and Westwood Church, uh, give, uh, a coat and mitten and hat and glove uh, drive, uh, cub gift cards, Christmas baskets, you know, all of those things. And you can do that. In fact, in the back of your notes, there are more details about that and, uh, and ways that you can give there. Um, and, uh, or you can even serve there. And again, we've made it really easy for you. Next Sunday afternoon, we're going to take all of the things that are being purchased and we're trying to purchase them through uh, Second Harvest uh, to put together these Christmas baskets. So we're going to have this assembly event. Uh, and we're going to get all the work done and then we're going to have a great time of celebrating with other believers from uh, around the uh, from around the uh, the city. And so I'd like for you to be there. Also on on Monday then, that's the 20th, is that the date? Monday the 20th, we're going to do kind of a Christmas store. We're actually just going to distribute the baskets and the coats and the gift cards and all of that. And uh, you can sign up for 2-hour shifts there and again in your notes, uh, it's right there. There's a, a sign up uh, that you can do there. And I would encourage you, even if you have to take a little bit of time off, take a morning off or afternoon off, come and, and, and be a part of that, that distribution. That's another way that you'd be able to give. But the main thing is, is oftentimes we spend a lot of time celebrating Christmas by giving things to people who don't really need it. Okay? But instead, let's change our mindset and start to, again, emulate the character of our God who has a special eye toward the poor and the needy. Third one is this. Do your part to make sure that no one has to be alone. Okay? Do you know anyone who might be single, doesn't have family around, widowed, maybe a, a young couple, or, or even a family whose extended family is far away and they're not going to be able to get out and, and see them. Okay? You know, I would love it if Wait Park was a place, and we do this in many ways already, but I would love it if this church was a place where no one who was a part of our congregation ever had to spend a holiday alone. Because it can be very isolating, but being with people, having other people who see you and notice you and value, okay, that's joy. And we have the opportunity as followers of Jesus to give joy to the people around us through presence, through seeing people, through noticing people and being happy to be with them. 
We, of, of all people, Christians, should be ones who are willing to have people into our homes, not just close friends or relatives, but anyone who doesn't have a place at the table. Well, I'm sure that there are lots of other applications that we can find from Mary's song, but here's the point. I love Mary's song. And, uh, and because even at her young age, she recognized that the coming of the Messiah was an offer of joy for everyone. And we find joy in the fact that God sees us, that he knows us, that he loves us. And we should be the kind of people who reflect the heart of God. Lord, we thank you for this word today. And oftentimes we need a reminder because we can get very comfortable in our lives and start to overlook people who the world tends to overlook. And so God, I pray that the Lord, you would be working to change our vision. That we would see not just the people who are close to us, not just the people who are like us, but God, that we would see the people that the rest of the world overlooks. Lord, give us eyes to see and give us the willingness to be able to put ourselves out there and to to make invitations, to be able to give up some of the money that we have, no matter how hard we think we earned to, to gain it. Lord, help us to recognize that it comes really as a gift from you. And I pray that we would be able to be open-handed with it as well. Lord, we thank you for the way Christmas, it, it gives us great feelings of joy, but it also is a challenge to us. And as we celebrate this year, God, may we not forget the character of our God who looks out for the little people. We pray this in Jesus' name. You've been listening to the Wake Park Church Sermon Podcast from Wake Park Church in Northeast Minneapolis. We hope this week's sermon helped you learn to know and love Jesus more and serve him in your unique place in the world. If you have feedback or questions, get in touch with us by emailing podcast at wakeparkchurch.org.